Spiritually speaking, we're a new person. We're not what we used to be. We are now a child of God. I don't know about you, but it's one thing to change your name here, here on earth. But to be a part of God? God's family? I mean, we forget this sometimes. We take it for granted that you're going to heaven when you die. If you could turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 1. Numbers chapter 1. Have you help say these verses with me when we get there? Numbers chapter 1. It's been a weird couple of years, right? And it's going to continue to be weird. And even before the weirdness happened, we lived with weird people. We go to youth conferences, youth groups with weird people. And weird is just kind of uh, a natural state of things. And if you don't think any of this is weird, it's probably because you're weird as well. And you're not really sure what is weird anymore. But I'm so glad that we could have a, have a, have a service like this. So grateful that we can be here. And uh, it looks like our Prince George guys are not here. They are here? <laughs> it's like, I didn't see them here. Um, I was wanting to just, I was wanting to shake their hands just before they left. Um, after service was done, they all came up here and tried out that grip thing. Every one of them, every one of them. Uh, ladies, if you're looking for a real strong, strong guy that could, I guess, protect you, or I don't really know, it's a bit of a drive, but it may be worth it. Prince George, that's the place to go. Uh, if you want the real strong type, you might need to leave the city. No, no offense to everyone else here. Vernon, though, they have some options as well. Uh, I mean, that's a little less. It's not, it's not as far. Not as, uh, maybe not as strong or as consistent. I don't really know, but I'll let you guys decide that. But uh, we're not all too bad out here in the, in the city. But the Numbers chapter 4, I'm going to read verse 5, and then I'll let you guys read. We're going to read verses 6 through 15, all right? So Numbers chapter 1, I'll read verse 5, and I'll help you out. With the rest. Verse 5. And these are the names of the men that shall stand with you of the tribe of Reuben, Elazor the son of Shadur. Verse 6. Everybody? Of Simon. Of Judah. Of Issachar. Of Zebulun. Of the children of Joseph. I'm just kidding, guys. I'm sorry. I just, I always wanted to try this. It didn't go very well. But some of you really gave it your all. Vernon, thank you for coming, Vernon. Wow, you guys uh, appreciate all that you do for us. Um, that had nothing to do with the message. If you could turn actually to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, we'll do something a bit more applicable here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 17. I appreciate the, the theme, the idea, everlasting. I, I used to appreciate working out as well. The concept is there, and I could still tell people, 
Yeah, yeah, I, I work out. But that's very relative, right? You could work, I mean, you could say anything's working out. And to be honest, uh, I do a lot, I've been doing a lot of squats the last couple of years. I have kids that don't sleep. They won't sleep. They haven't slept in years, actually. That's why they're so short. My son is four, and he's about six inches tall because he doesn't sleep. And the only way to get them to sleep is you hold them, and you have to do this. Like, if you do this, it doesn't work. Uh, I, all these parents say, oh, no, this is what you do. And they have all these remedies, and none of them work. you got to just put them in the car and drive, and they'll, they'll sleep. No, no, I fall asleep driving. They don't. <laughs> Oh, and then uh, had someone, no, this is the way to do it. You got to, you turn the dryer on and don't put them in the dryer, okay? I'm not going there, although I've been tempted. But you turn the dryer on, you stick them in their car seat, and then you put the, the car seat on the dryer and, the, and it just makes them go to sleep, but it doesn't, it doesn't work. Um, so it's, it's this motion here. So you could say, I do, I do work out, um, depending on how you look at it. But I do appreciate the theme. Uh, salvation, of course. I want to thank Pastor Tyler for preaching last night. Uh, very clear message on the gospel, and we'll get into that a little bit. But um, along these lines here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. And let's read these two verses together, and I'll read them with you. If you could stand with me, stretch your legs a little bit. I know how it is. It's Saturday morning. Most of you would normally still be sleeping by now. Uh, or, I mean, hopefully you'd be... I don't know if uh, churches still go flyering or soul winning at this time, but hopefully you'd be in church on a Saturday. But anyway, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, let's read it all together. Ready to begin. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Verse 18, and all things are of God, who have reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for our conference, for this meeting. Thank you so much for allowing us to be here. God, we need you this morning. We need you, not even today, but every day of our lives, every hour, we need you. We live in a world that hates you. There's a devil out there that hates you and very much hates us and does everything he can to destroy us. So many people, so many Christians try to go through life and they don't rely on you. And we wonder why our world is the way it is. God, we need you today. Open hearts to remove distractions and help us now to learn something from your word. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I'm not originally from Canada. I'm from America. I'm from California. And uh, in California, obviously things are different than in Canada. And I'm not going to go through the differences. Most of you probably know. Um, in California, I grew. I was born in San Francisco, but my parents we moved to the central part near Sacramento. And uh, in Sacramento, we live in a, a town called Manteca. Anybody ever heard of Manteca? It's actually not that small. You've heard of Manteca? Um, I'm actually surprised you have. If you, if, you, if you lie just to make me feel good, I appreciate it. Thank you, Vernon. All right. Um, so in Manteca, in Spanish, the word means lard. All right. So I don't really know. Uh, I, don't, I don't know the correlation to that. I will say they have very good Mexican food, and I very much appreciate a Mexican food. Did you guys like the, anybody try the Mexican poutine? It wasn't authentic, but I mean, did you try it? It was pretty good. The Tex-Mex even is okay. I grew up in, uh, in a, a, a nice house. My parents, you know, we uh, grew up going to church. Next, our neighbors, our, the neighbors on my left were Jehovah Witness, 
and the neighbors on my right were uh, Pentecostal. So we had a great relationship with our neighbors. We hung out with them all the time. It was a lot of fun. The neighbors on our left, we weren't actually allowed to hang out with. Uh, in fact, one time, the uh, uh, little kids my age, they invited me over to their house. My parents said, okay, this is before we knew they were Jehovah's Witness. And uh, we, we went in, this is before, this is during the days where neighbors were nice to each other. So we went inside and uh, sit down and they're having lunch with us. And I don't even know what we had. It was cool. It was just me and this other kid. I don't remember his name. It doesn't really matter. But he's across from me. And uh, then he asked me, are you a Christian? That's what he asked me. I was like, wow, I, I must have been six or seven. He was about the same age. And I said, am I a Christian? I said, I am. And he's, uh, he says, do you, do you worship the Lord? And I said, I do. And from that moment on, he started to witness to me. He started to Jehovah witness to me and started talking about uh, one day you could you know, inherit the earth. And he started talking about peace and I can't remember the rest. And I started, even as a seven-year-old, I started, like, there was a few things that weren't, they weren't quite right. But I remember thinking, he witnessed to me, seven years old. I had not one thought of doing that to him. Now, you would argue and say, oh, it's fine, you're seven. You know, it's okay. When you get older, you'll be a witness. How many of you have said that and you're still not a witness for him? So I had Jehovah Witness on my left, over to my right, was our Pentecostal friends. Now, we were actually pretty close with them. Um, they had a pretty good salvation testimony. There were some things in their church they did differently, and we, you know, we, we'd actually joke around about it. He would drive up and say, Hey, Pastor Taylor, I, uh, my dad wasn't a pastor yet, but, Hey, Brother Taylor, I, uh, I slain three people in the spirit today. Like, it was a joke to him. And my dad would be like, Okay, son, come over here. <laughs> like, that, you're not going over anymore. And to him, it was a joke because he knew we were very far from believing in that kind of thing. But they had one, one girl who was our age, and they had an adopted son. And his name was Michael. I didn't know Michael very well. He kind of kept himself. He was a pretty fun guy. He was a bit older than me, and, but he really was into BMX racing. He liked the bikes and he liked all that stuff. He was good at fixing bikes and uh, he must have been 12 or 13. I was about seven or eight at this time. And uh, when I would play with his, his sister outside, me and my brother would play. We would, I don't know, do whatever, dig holes and stuff. Every once in a while, Michael would come out and play with us. And it was pretty cool. He was older, so I, you know, he didn't really like to play with us, but he would, he would just from here and there. And uh, one day, I realized, wow, it had been several weeks since I had seen Michael. I thought, well, I wonder where, where he is. And I, so I asked his sister, hey, where's, where's your brother Michael? And she said, oh, well, he's going through a really hard time right now. She said, um, recently, his biological father appeared out of nowhere and uh, wanted to see him. And I'm seven, eight, don't really understand this. So later on, my, my, my parents would explain to me what happens. And what had happened was biological father jumped into the scene, and Michael had never really met him before. This is his first time. He's 12 years old. He thought, okay, this is neat. So they set up an arrangement to, to meet him. And make a long story short, the meeting time came, met father for the first time, and basically the father wanted to see him to say, and to make sure he was doing okay, and basically say goodbye. You know, I'm not trying to make a relationship with you. You have a good family. They love you. 
and uh, his life was in shambles. He was uh, drunk. He was in and out of prison. I think he was just coming into, out of prison from that moment, and he didn't have any plans on being a father. That, that was it. Maybe some of you have, have, have family members, you've experienced something like this. And naturally, Michael went into this hoping to strike up a relationship, to, to meet his real father and maybe be a son to his father. But that wasn't the case. And it hit Michael very hard. So for weeks, he didn't really come out of his room much, wasn't riding his bike, wasn't playing, wasn't himself. I don't blame him, would you? Not at all. And a couple weeks later, Michael comes out for the first time. Hadn't seen him. He wasn't going to school or anything. And he came out and he was happy again. He was, he was joyful. He was playing around. Everything seemed to be going well. And I went to sister and I said, what, what's up with Michael? Like, he's, he's, he's happy now. He's fine. My parents would later explain to me what had happened. You see, Michael was a junior. He... Uh, he shared the same name as his father, same exact name. And Michael, after several weeks of just thinking his life through, uh, identity crisis, you know, not really understanding what's going on, finally realized, you know what, I have to move on. My dad doesn't want me. You know, however his, his mind was thinking, my, my dad doesn't seem to want me. I have a perfectly wonderful family that loves me, that cares for me, that's been there. He was adopted at a young age. He said, I have no reason to mourn this. I need to move on. I need to change. I need to change what I was. I need to get rid of what I was and become something new. So what did he do? He changed his name. He got it. He said, you know, Mom and Dad, uh, this is my decision, and I want to do this. If you could help me out, it would be great. I, I don't want my name anymore. I want to change my first, my middle, and my last name. I want to change my name to this, and I want to share your guys' last name. I want to be Tyler Bliss, would, it, would, it, would be his name. His parents, of course, were thrilled, also saddened that he was wanting to kind of give up a part of who he was, but at the same time, they were rejoiced to hear that they, he was accepting them as their parents, and he was willing to move on. If this was the way to do it, they supported him, and he did. He made that decision. He changed his name, and he did move on. Tyler became somebody, and this isn't the backstory of, of Tyler, by the way. That wouldn't be cool, though, if that was. That wouldn't be cool, but I mean, like, if, forget it. I just ruined it. Anyway, Tyler. Uh, once again, we weren't great friends growing up, but he was changed. He was different. Our theme passage for this week is Philippians 2, 12, and 13, which says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But in Philippians 2.13, the Bible says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You see, when we get saved, we become a new creature, a new person. Our name changes when we are adopted into the family of God. Spiritually speaking, we're a new person. We're not what we used to be. We are now a child of God. I don't know about you, but it's one thing to change your name here, here on earth, but to be a part of God? 
God's family? I mean, we forget this sometimes. We take it for granted that you're going to heaven when you die. Do you, we forget sometimes that the majority of our world is not. We forget that the kids at school that you're friends with are not going to heaven. We forget that one day you're going to stand before God and your friend, you may even see your friend in the line behind you or across the way in a different line perhaps. I don't know exactly how it's going to work or where it will be and when your time will come up, but your friend will come up someday and God's going to say, I don't see your name in the, in the book of life. I'm sorry, but your time is over. It's eternity for you. We forget how good we have it I know if you you watch the news for five seconds, you'll get depressed. You watch anything these days, social media, anything, a lot of, it's just, it points to loneliness, depression, and we want things to be over, and they may never be over, at least not for a long time, and we get bombarded with everything. Let's just stop for a second and be grateful for who we are in Jesus Christ. And if you are saved today, or if you're not, join the club. Not just join it just for namesake, but become a child of God. Love, learn to love him with your life. Enjoy who we are. My, my friend Tyler got, he changed his name for several reasons. And our name changes when we are adopted. My, my friend Tyler, he, he changed his name for two reasons. And these two reasons are same reason that we as Christians ought to change our name to the child of God. The first reason that my friend Tyler and we as well change our name and become a child of God is, number one, because of identification. Identification. My friend Tyler did not want to be identified with his old past. He wanted to change that. He didn't want to hear his name. He didn't want to see his name and be reminded of what he was. He wanted to burn those bridges and move on. And it is a sad aspect from his perspective, but the same reality is true for us. When we get saved, it's time for us to stop looking behind, to stop keeping the things we used to do, to stop bringing them with us, and to burn them and look forward. Identify ourselves with Christ. Many of you have probably gone through this process before. My wife and I were in the process of trying to become permanent residents, and we've prolonged this way too long. And uh, we... It was perfect timing. We started last March. If you know what I mean? We started last March. That's the best time to start anything is March of 2020. We thought this is going to be the time. We started it. We got our paperwork in. We sent it in. And everything shut down. Like, everything shut down. I, I don't need to retell you the story. So for months and months, we don't hear. And, you know, months and months is, is, is seconds for the government. I understand, right? So months and months go by. We finally get uh, word back saying, yeah, sorry, you know, we, were, we took a hiatus, but we're coming back, all right? And uh, also, by the way, you know, we sent ours in, but everybody else kept sending theirs in, right? So the stack, you know, you, you know how it goes, right? So they finally get around to us, and they found one piece of document that wasn't right. And... Uh, there's this document that everybody needs. It's called your identity history summary, otherwise known as your background or your criminal record check, right? Now, don't worry. Nothing was wrong with it. Like, I mean, there was something wrong with it, but it wasn't our fault, per se. Like, it was our fault, but it wasn't something that we had done uh, or did not do. So, okay, what happened was, it doesn't really matter what happened, to be honest with you, but it wasn't correct, okay? Uh, 
It was actually my wife, to be honest. Is she online right now, Miss Lydia? Hello, honey. Uh, it's going to be fine. I won't tell all the whole story. But basically, anywhere, any place that you've lived in the, for six months in the last 10 years, you have to get a criminal record from that country. And one of the countries, her parents are missionaries in Paraguay, South America. So she had lived with them for six months, uh, for more than six months. So she had to get a criminal record from them. And, uh, well, we got it, but it had to be translated into Spanish as well. So we had to give them the original English and a, a certified translation in Spanish. We didn't know about the translation part. They sent it back to us. Okay, great. Uh, it wasn't one of those, hey, can you just upload the right document, and then we'll keep going. It was denied, swipe, start over again. Okay, great. I love March of 2020. So we start over again, and, it's, and now we're, uh, we, we try it again, and we're kicked out, and it's, it's a fun process. But our identity is important, right? Everybody is longing for an identity, there is this other phrase that people like to throw around, especially these last several years, is identity crisis. A lot of people go through these. And uh, maybe the phrase wasn't as... It's been around forever, but uh, the idea has been around forever. But more recently, lots of research has been put into one's identity. More than ever, people now are searching for their own identity. The search for discovery seems to be at an all-time rise. And for most people, I, this identity crisis happens at around four main stages in one's life. The first stage, and not all of these are at the same level of extremity, but one of the first places they say that identity crisis happens is when one enters high school. It's the first time it often happens, not to everybody. I was homeschooled, so I didn't... Uh, any homeschoolers in here? Raver, hi. Vernon, thank you guys for coming. Vernon, man... Can you guys come every year? I'll fly you guys out next year. If that's a lie, I don't have money for that. Anybody else a uh, homeschooler here? All right, don't, don't be shy. Come on. You can be a little shy, actually. Just wave it a little bit. No one, okay. So I was homeschooled. Now, I didn't really go through a lot of these things. I was the oldest. I didn't, uh, you know, I, I ruled the school. I was the bully. I was the valedictorian and the salutatorian. I was the only person in my high school. So entering high school, I didn't go through this, but a lot of people do. You enter in, especially if you're in the public school area, this is where it would happen. You're trying to find yourself. You want to find the click. You want to write, make the right friends. And second time identity crisis often happens is when you're leaving high school. You're going into college. This is really where it really starts. This is where the panic happens. This is where, who am I? What do I want to be? Where do I go? What do I do? And then it makes it worse when your best friend has it all planned out. They know exactly what they're doing. Your best friend is smart. Your best friend uh, has all the grades. They have all the offers. And you're just like, and then you go over to their parents' house. Or they come over to your house. And your pa their parents are talking about how great this person is. And you're sitting in the corner like, yeah. It's cool, you know, that's fine. I don't need to know anything about, you know, I'm homeschooled. You know, it's fine, whatever. We compare ourselves, that makes things worse. So entering into the college life, identity crisis oftentimes happen. Who am I? What am I supposed to do? How do I find myself? The third, often main stage of identity crisis in one's life is when wanting a family, wanting to get married, wanting to start the married life. Crisis starts to build. I'm already 22. I don't even have prospects. Like, this is not good. I should, by 22, I mean, I should be at least engaged by now. 
maybe married with a couple of kids. We start going through this crisis. Uh, maybe it's later for you. Hopefully it's a little later. Maybe mid-20s, mid-30s, like, oh, man, I don't know what's going on. And we start to panic. We start to wonder who this person is, Christian Mingle, you know what I'm saying? So we start to wander around, not really sure what's going to happen. And oftentimes you've heard of a midlife crisis. Oftentimes, maybe those in the 40s or 50s. I actually had mine early, my, my midlife crisis. I had mine at age 29. Uh, I did not, I did not want to turn 30. Did not want to do it. I don't know why. I just, I'm, it's not really a crisis. My wife makes fun of me. But I really struggled with this. I just didn't want to be old. Because let's just face it. Teenagers, is a 30-year-old old? Totally. Vernon, one of you said no. And thank you very much. Lying is a sin, but thank you. Anyway. But no, for real. When you're like 12, 13, 14, 30, is, may as well be 80. Like, it's, it's very old. And... Uh, even in our youth group now, you know, it's nobody in our youth group was born in the 90s. They're all, you know, early 2000s. I don't think anybody in the youth group was even born, like, 9-11 is history book stuff, right? Like, you don't even, uh, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing, and, but it happens. Age happens. We want to we discover ourselves. And the more we watch the news, the more Hollywood and the more social media is out there, there is so much pressure on finding yourself. And sometimes people counsel you, you know what, just kind of get away from everything. You know, after high school, travel a little bit. You know, mom and dad, I want to travel. I want to kind of find myself. I want to explore. I want to, I want to find out who I am, find out where I fit in this world. We experience sometimes uh, personal conflicts. Sometimes it's just due to big changes in your life, maybe with relationships, maybe a career change or jobs. I don't know what it is, but sometimes these can lead to us questioning our values, our spiritual values, our beliefs, our interests, our career path. And these have a major impact on how you see yourself. Sometimes when uh, family issues arise, it really affects your outlook on yourself. You're searching for more meaning, reason, or passion in life. And we know this could even reach a point where you start questioning your gender. And then we start comparing ourselves with others who seem to have it all under control. And they know exactly where things are going in their life. And it really can be quite depressing. I, I, uh, I love basketball. I'm not good at it. <laughs> Obviously, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm five foot six. But I do enjoy the concept of basketball. I enjoy watching it. Uh, Golden State Warriors fan, have been since before anybody even knew who they were. Uh, my dad used to take me to games when I was a kid, uh, before there was ever a Stephen Curry, before any of those people existed, uh, Chris Mullen and people you've never heard of in your life, but it's fine, it's okay, I know who they are and that's all that matters. But one thing in sports analysis and uh, commentators, what they talk about a lot is, this team needs to find their identity. And, you know, at first I'm like, what is that? What? Like, your identity is you're a multi-million dollar basketball player. Like, that's your identity. Okay, from the outside, perhaps, yes. But there is something to that. When a team has an identity, when they find themselves, when every person on that team knows their role, man, that helps. And when a team is, teams oftentimes they want to be known for something. Maybe they're a bunch of young guys on a team, but man, their identity, they are hardworking, they're scrappy, they're going to do everything they can, and they're never going to quit. That's their identity. So now teams know, well, when I go to their stadium, when I go to their court, like, they know who they are, and we know who we are. 
These guys are never going to quit, so we have to play 48 minutes to beat these guys. That's their identity. Having an identity is something that we long for, we want. The world pushes sometimes too much. I mean, I wear a wedding ring. This is my identity. We long for an identity. The guys long for the day where they could wear one of these, where they could, fla- I don't really flash it around because mine's worth like 20 bucks or something, but we flash it around. We, we, can, we long for the day where, you know, the first few weeks you're married, first few years you're married. Some of you are young, you may know this, you know, you're, you, you play with it a lot. You uh, pull it up and down. You look at it sometimes. And uh, maybe, maybe you want to, you're in a group of guys and you kind of like, you know, showing. I don't know if you guys ever did. I'm probably weird. I'm homeschooled. So that might explain why I do weird things, I guess. But, oh, you're, you're married? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Really? Uh, who is she? Uh, prettiest girl in the world. Still is, by the way. She's watching right now. So if she is, that was to make up for the criminal record thing. But... Uh, we, we take pride in, in identity and identifying with something. Here's the problem. There's only one identity that matters. See, because when you become a Christian, it doesn't matter who you are. This is contrary to what the world teaches you. The world tells you to find yourself, to, be, to love yourself. And, and you should, to an extent. But if your life revolves around loving yourself and finding yourself, then you're going the wrong way. Because when you get saved, you need to love God. And you need to find God. And you need to follow God. And when people say, who are you? I am a child of God. What are you going to do with your life? I don't really know, but I know it's after him. I know it's following God. What is my identity? My identity is I'm a child of God. I am a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus. Whatever the wording, the phrases you want to use. But this is it. And here's another thing is you can't really know your path. You can't really know who you truly are. Because Proverbs 20 verse 24 says, Man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? You can't truly know your path. You can't truly understand who you are but I know who does know who you are. The one that created you. The one that made you. He's the one that knows you. He knows everything about you. And God's saying, what, you're you're struggling to find yourself? Why don't you just ask me? I know who you are. I created you. And when I created you, I had a purpose for you. So why don't you cry out to me? Why don't you ask me? Oh, and I'll show you who you are. And I'll make you the best you you could ever be. But most of the time, we spend our lives trying to find ourselves, trying to find, oh, what do I like? Ah, oh, I don't want to work there, Mom and Dad. It's a lot of studying. That's a lot of work. I'm not sure about that. That's not a lot of pay in that, not a lot of future in that. Don't get a lot of recognition in that. I'm not sure if I'll enjoy that. And God's saying, but if you follow me, you'll enjoy every bit of your life. Is it going to be absolutely perfect? Well, no, of course not. We live in an un, uh, unfair world. We live in a world full of sin and corruption. We live in a, a world that's run by unsaved people. So no, it's not going to be a perfect world. We will go through trials and tribulations, but man, when your identity is in Christ, those trials and tribulations aren't so tough anymore, especially when you're leaning on God. Psalms 34, verse 8 says, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Blessed, happy. You want that happiness. It's finding your identity in Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way. 
in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are what? Bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. God's saying, why are you worried about this? You don't even own your life anyway. Once you become my, my son, once you've come into my family, I'm your responsibility. You're my responsibility now. You're, you belong to me. Let me take care of who you are. Let me show you the way. Let me help you out. God is saying, I own you. I will take care of you. You just need to trust in me. We get baptized. When a Christian gets baptized, we're identifying ourselves with the body of Christ. By assembling our death, the burial, and the resurrection, we're identifying to the world that I am a part of the family of God. Our identity in Christ. My friend, Michael, he changed his name to Tyler, first of all, to change his identity. He didn't want that old identity. But he also changed his identity, such as Christians today, we get saved, we become a child of God for identification, but also for separation. You see, my friend Michael, he didn't just want to not be identified with his past. He wanted to be completely separate from it. He didn't want ties to it. He wanted to be acknowledged in this family. He wanted to be separate. Turn with me in your Bibles to Job chapter 17. Job chapter 17. Job chapter 17. And uh, just to switch things up, well, if the guys help me out here. In Job chapter 17. Wait for the pages to stop flipping here. Job chapter 17. And the guys could all read together. Uh, Job chapter 17 and verse 1. Ready? Begin. My breath is corrupt. My days are extinct. Guys, say that first part one more time. My breath is corrupt. One more time. My breath is All right, very good. That's not the verse I had for you. But uh, if you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, ladies, I just wanted you to, now you know who not to choose. And that comes to Christian mingling. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, back to the actual passage there. We have identification in Christ, but there's also separation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, huh, he is a new creature. But here it is. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. When we get saved, our identity changes but also our, our life changes, our actions change. What we once were, those things we used to do, we don't do them anymore. This is why we as Christians get saved. This isn't, well, be, when we get saved, this is one sign that we are saved is by not doing the things that we once did. You know, when we get saved, everybody gets saved a little bit different. The, the process is the exact same, but the way to get there is a bit different sometimes. My, my uncle, growing up, he, he and I, we were two very different people. My uncle did grow up in a pastor's home. My, my grandpa is a Southern Baptist preacher, and he will tell you that he did not do things the right way growing up. 
My uncle, by the time he was uh, 18, he had been in and out of prison and gangs and drugs and violence and uh, you know, uh, promiscuity, lascivious sins, whatever you want to call them. My uncle was in and out of all that stuff. And even well into his 20s, and uh, he was uh, drinking, and he was addicted to you know, cigarettes. He was smoking and in and out of homes, and he would stay with our family for some time, and then he would, relapse, or he would lapse, and then my, my dad would kick him out. And he was just, he was a mess. His life was all over the place. Man, the day he really, truly got saved, his life changed. And he, you, you let him tell you the story. He'll say, a burden was lifted. Because he didn't do those, I mean, he had burdens. He had, I mean, he had a lot of weight he was dragging. And when God came by and cut the chain, wow, I could, I could, I'm free. You know, I could, I could actually live for you, Lord. You want me to run? I can run now. You want me to jump? I can jump. Now, I, I, I got saved at the age of 10. I grew up in a, a Christian home. My dad, we didn't become missionaries until we were about 12 or 13, but I grew up every Saturday. I went soul winning, you know, I had Sunday school. I grew up very different than my uncle. The process was the same. When I got saved, I remember, I remember feeling relieved. I remember uh, giving my life to Jesus, and I remember my sins being forgiven and feeling happy. And I do remember a burden being lifted, but I guarantee you it wasn't as heavy as that burden. It's my uncle. It wasn't. First of all, he had lived longer than me, but he had way more baggage than me. And am I, was I a better person than him? That's not the point. The point is the baggage he had weighed. Man, when he got saved, woo! It, 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 I mean, he let the whole church know he got saved. He was so excited. I was by myself. I was alone. I was in the backyard of my house in the morning. My dad always made us do our devotions in the morning before we could have breakfast. And that's what I was doing. Uh, and eventually we started doing it because I actually wanted to do it. And that's what I was doing. I was reading my Bible. I don't remember what I was reading. But I just remember in the middle of my prayers when I realized, wow, like, I am a sinner. Like, it, it hit me for the first time. Because it's hard when you're a Christian and you, or when you grow up in a Christian home. You, in your head, you know the gospel, right? Jesus, yeah, he died on the cross for my sins. He was dead. He buried and raised again from the dead. I can recite the verse for you if you want. You know, we know what it is, but when it finally goes from head to heart, it, you, you, you know there's a difference. It's different than just coming forward because the preacher said, you know, come on, come forward. Come on, come on, boy. Come here. I'm not, if you do that, I'm not teasing you. But I'm just saying sometimes when, uh, when, you're, when the emotions are arising, sometimes, you know, you, you come forward and you make a decision, but it's kind of, it was emotion. It wasn't hearts. And when it hits your heart, wow, there's a change. There's, there's a difference being made. And I didn't really even know exactly at that moment what it was that I went to my dad. A few minutes later, my dad said, well, son, <laughs> congratulations. Welcome to the family. However it happens in your life, as long as it happens, as long as you've, there's a come a point in your life where you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's a time now where you look to the past and you say no more. And yeah, I was 10. I didn't have a life of drugs and alcohol, but I, I did want to be better. I did want to serve God with my life. I did want to change. And let me ask you this question. Does God excite you? Or have you lost that excitement? Or maybe you've never had it. When was the last time that God excited you? 
not just the church, does church excite you, which it should. Not does fellowship, you know, excite you, which it, it should. Not even does a, a youth conference or a youth group, does that excite you? It should, because sometimes those things can excite, excite you for the wrong reasons. You know, you come to youth group because there's a, there's a pretty girl, you know. There's a good-looking guy in the back. If you're from Vernon, perhaps. You know, you, you look around. You, I enjoy the excitement. I like the friendship. Oh, I like, a, I like this, I like that. I'm not talking about do you like church in general. Do you, does youth group excite you? I'm, talking, I'm saying does God excite you? Does hearing the name God excite you? Does it get you up in the morning? Do you come to church because God excites you? When was the last time that Jesus Christ, the name, excited you to do something? Excited you just to be alive? When was the last time that God was exciting to you? If God doesn't excite you, it's probably, it might be one reason why you struggle with perhaps daily devotions. You struggle with bad habits or lingering sins. You've lost that excitement, that spark that you once had. Even youth pastors and senior pastors, staff, if we're not careful, we can lose that excitement. Not necessarily because of sin. We can sometimes get so caught up in the grind. We get so caught up in working for God that we forget to grow closer to God. And that spark could easily go away. And at that point, ministry now just becomes a job. A good job. The best job. But it's a job. And ministry is not a job. Ministry ought to be a lifestyle. It's, it's, it's so much more than just a, a nine to five. When we start losing sight of our identity in Christ, the spiritual can become mundane. I'm even ashamed to say this, but there have been uh, a few times uh, throughout the course of being a youth pastor here at this church where I, I, ha- I, planned a me- I planned an activity in November. You know, it's only February, but man, I'm excited about this one. The teens are never excited, but I'm excited about it. I got a theme picked out. They don't care about the theme, but I'm excited. I start working on the codes, and I start working on the, the clues and the, the theme and the decorations, and I got workers lined up, and I, I, uh, I made this mistake once. I turned the entire church into a blanket fort once, and I, I lost my job for a day, and then Pastor rehired me after that. But he walked in the auditorium, and I unbolted the pews, and I rearranged everything. I laid, It was... Um, anyway, I don't want to talk about my failures in life. But we have, these, we have these ambitions, these plans. And man, I'm so excited about it. I'm the only one sometimes. But it doesn't matter. I'm excited. I'm pushing for it. And we get there. And 10 minutes before the, before the activity starts, I sit down in my office. I got a headache because I, I stressed myself out for absolutely no reason. And I'm in there and I sit there. And Lord, can you be with this activity? I... Uh, I forgot, I forgot to ask you if you could bless this activity. Lord, I've been so consumed with the details, I forgot the most important thing. Lord, would you, first of all, forgive me for planning this without you. Secondly, God, please use this activity for your honor and glory. Sometimes 10 minutes before the activity, it's, it's, been, it's happened a few times, where that was the first time I asked God to bless it. Sometimes I think, oh, it's just a small activity, we'll just play board games or something, no big deal, just casual we're not careful, we could lose that, the, the reason we're doing what we do. We lose our identity in Christ. If you're desiring a personal identity, your life will not be 
what it could be. But if you place your identity in Christ, in knowing him, and in being like him, you'll find an identity that will carry you through the hard times and a life worth living through all of eternity. Stand with me as we pray. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word. Thank you.